Hey listeners, welcome back to The Designated Sitter. This is episode three of the first season. I'm Caden Kilpak and I'm joined by my co-host Steven as two very opinionated people talking about our views of baseball. Tonight, we're going to talk about the power index rating that you may have seen on our Instagram and talk about how we came to the conclusion of each team's rating. Next, we're going to talk about players and the way they act on the field and where we think the line is between being competitive, passionate, and disrespectful and what we expect from them. And we want to hear a little bit of your take on that too as the week goes on. Last, we're going to talk about players weekend. You may or may not have seen some of the nicknames yet, but we'll make sure we give you our highs and lows for them. Then we want to hear your feedback. Let's jump into it. of baseball did you another see the, week another podcast right do you see that baltimore orioles like maybe last week the day after we recorded have already hit their elimination number four guys i think guys. right now detroit sits at two toronto at five and kansas city at seven that's like with five more losses so the way the elimination number works is how many times you lose or the leading person wins like on separation okay. until it's no longer possible for you to make the playoffs at all. So Baltimore so, can do it. And so that's because that's based on also the wild card number, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah, so no, Detroit's the, uh, two game two losses away from no longer being there. Yeah, the American League uh, American League playoff picture is significantly clearer than the National League's at this moment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Seattle's the furthest out at 10 of the ones who are about to go. National League, I think the closest is Miami at 11. To getting eliminated? Eliminated, yeah. The other two bottoms are Colorado at 13 and Pittsburgh at 24. Oh, Pittsburgh. I know only a few weeks ago, they were only five games back. Now they're 15 and a half games back of the division lead. They are 15 games back of a wild card spot. Game's over. I mean, if the Red Sox have a chance. <sighs> yeah, that's an interesting... AL East is is odd right now. I mean, Red Sox yeah. are sitting at five thirty two, Mets are sitting oh, at five sixteen, and the Mets love their season right now, and the Red Sox are just miserable. Well, you have to look at the difference in where the Mets came from versus where the Red Sox came from, right? Because the Mets story was bottom coming to there. Red Sox story was literally the highest thing you can do to where they are right now. I would be frustrated if I was a Red Sox fan. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever noticed? I, I think we look at baseball different than most people. Me and you. I feel like there's two types of people. There are people who only see a World Series champion and a bunch of losers. Mm. And there are people who see how a team does compared to their expected season. So you, as an intellectual, are which one of those people? I'm not going to claim to be an intellectual. <laughs> but... If I were, let's say I was a Giants fan, I would actually okay. have enjoyed the season as they've gone from being a not good team. They don't even have their same outfielders at this point. They've gone through a bunch of them, yet they really made a serious heat towards here in the end. They're not still quite on pace, but they're actually putting up a pretty good season. It's a no, better yeah. than expected season. 
I think it's good too. I think because you know, this is Bruce Bochy's a farewell tour at this point, and mm-hmm. like he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame manager. Um, and so it's good to see that they're pulling out the stops for him. I really do appreciate that part of the game a lot, actually. Yeah. So yeah, as a Giants fan, I'd be more than happy with the season, just based on what was happening at the beginning of the season to where they are now. If if it was back in May and I was a Giants fan, I'd be kicking myself. But yeah. such is baseball. That's why it's 162 games long. Why don't we go to our first segment, Stevens Week in Baseball, your highs and lows for the week. For sure. Um, I was able to watch a Cleveland Indians game, and I love the Indians. Full on, love them. They're the American League, but it's fine. They're great. And that is based purely on Mike Clevenger saving my fantasy week three weeks in a row this season um, before he hurt himself and he went on the IL. But he was a monster. And so I love the Indians. Tons and tons and tons. I uh, was able to watch this last week as Shane Bieber was pitching. It was actually against the Red Sox. I was able to see him pitch and actually record his 200th strikeout of the season. And the announcers were talking about his season and what it was. If you remember, he was actually named the all-star MVP for striking out the side in the one inning that he pitched in the all-star game. Right. For whatever that's worth, he did that and he succeeded very well in his appearance in the all-star game, which against a loaded lineup is something to be said that he did really, really well. But I went and took a look at his numbers this season and two things that really caught my eye. One was his whip, which is absurdly low for a starting pitcher. He has a 1.01 whip. I don't know if there's a starter but has this this year that has a whip that low especially in the whole you know juiced ball era part of it that offense is off the charts and he is minimizing base runners like crazy the second thing that really jumped out at me is he's doing something that no one else in baseball is doing he currently leads the league in complete games two of which is two of which were shutouts and i think one of which he pitched under 100 pitches to get that nine nine-inning shutout game was under 100 pitches, which just blows my mind. I heard Kurt Schilling say that his only way he thinks you should truly measure a pitcher is in innings pitched. It's the most important stat, and his opinion of that is if you have more innings pitched, it means you're doing everything you're supposed to, right? You don't give a ton Mm -hmm. of innings to a pitcher who's doing poorly, and so your truest measure is that. So complete games in itself is a great measure of a pitcher's control over the game and their stamina. But it is easier if you only throw 80 pitches, but that's a lot to your own credit (laughs) to only have to throw 80 pitches. For sure. And I think people get, pitchers specifically, get a boost for like the style of pitching. You know, the really efficient pitchers aren't big strikeout guys because they're pitching to contact. They want weak contact, lots of ground balls, um, which in all reality gives them more chances for base runners. So there's something maybe to look at to see if, you know, he's lucky. Possibly, but I took a couple couple looks at his other thing. This is actually his only his second year in the majors. So in his sophomore season, if you will, he's the All Star Game MVP. But I was looking at his numbers. His ERA plus is up forty nine points, which is your ERA adjusted for park factors. Right. His fielding independent of pitching, which essentially takes away fielding and just how well he pitched, is essentially the same three point two three to three point three two this year. He's given up three less hits per nine, has only given up 0.3 more homers per nine, which in, again, the year of juice ball is crazy. He walks the same amount of people per nine and he strikes two more out per nine. 
across the board, this guy is just fantastic. And it is so cool to me to see what he's doing because he's doing it, you know, starting the season as the, the fifth member of this Cleveland Indians rotation, which is super strong. Don't get me wrong. Like, but has come roaring from mine, partly because of injuries, you know, Corey Kluber has been out all season, but is now their ace. And he right. takes the ball every fifth day and gives them a quality start and puts them in a position to win every single day. And I think it's awesome. And they have struggled with pitchers through this year. You, Kluber was injured. It, just unfortunate circumstances. Cookie or Carlos Carrasco with his cancer. He just had his rehab start tonight. And the crowd gave him a standing ovation coming up. I want to look back. I hadn't seen yet how he did because I was going to look at that tonight. I'm mm-hmm. really happy he's been able to do it. And he had a pretty good whip this season, too. He was around 1.3. Not a bad oh, yeah. season by most means. He's a talented pitcher. He's been in since 2009. Cookie Carrasco has. Right, right. And you've got a great presence in Cleveland. I enjoy Cleveland, too. As far as the Central AL goes, it's probably my preferred team. You've got Tito Francona, who's by all means a great manager. Francisco Lindor, who's Mr. Smile, the happiest go lucky person who I truly think is becoming the face of Major League Baseball in a lot of ways. But they, they've got to climb to get back into the playoffs. Do you think that Shane Bieber, who... To his credit, a very funny guy. If you didn't see his thing for Players Weekend, just kind of a subtext on that. His name is not Justin because they put Justin Bieber on his player card by accident. Was that intentional, do you think? Or was that some intern just probably could happen? Could happen, yeah. They've got a good team and they've been one of the hottest teams in baseball. Do you think they make for sure they make it through? I'm gonna give them a no. I think the twins will win the division personally. I think that the baseball today is geared towards offense and the twins are historically good this year. I don't think that they'll make a very deep run in the playoffs, but I think they'll win the division. So they do sit a game and a half ahead in wild card, right? Cleveland right now. Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay's Mm -hmm. in there and then Oakland's only a game behind. But for the longest time, it's it's been a toss up between these three teams. They're all battling right now to get in. Oakland had a super good weekend, right? They've had to fight with the Astros, which is not easy, but they've come out on top. That first game, I don't know if you heard the interview afterwards, but one of the managers was quoted saying it was a great game in Denver last night because they were just hitting home runs after home runs, all coming off of Chapman. I didn't catch the first game. I caught the last. I caught the one on Saturday. Right. You need to go back and look at Chapman's game. I like Chapman a lot. I love players that play defense and that can rake too. Those are my those are my favorite kind of guys. I actually right. saw a stat when I was watching that game um, where Oakland Athletics are two have two wins when their team doesn't hit a home run. They're like two in 22 if their team doesn't hit a home <laughs> run in the game. And if that's not the most 2019 stat of all time, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's, that's where things seem to be coming. Uh, I saw that you were kind of looking at this week. One of the things that we talked about a lot is there's currently really the big three in baseball. Sure. In this race. What, what what would have been your thoughts on that? Um. Well, if you're following our Instagram account, you saw a really cool little power index that we put together, or Hayden right. put together, which just talked about how, you know, how good you are against good baseball teams. But this year, everyone's talking about New York, the Astros, and the Dodgers, right? As the locks to be in the postseason, and the locks to take a, make a deep postseason run. And... Mm-hmm talked about in episodes past about is it worth it to try to get a wild card spot is it worth putting all this effort is it worth giving up prospects to go for this this spot in the wild card 
I don't know if an, if a wild card team could displace one of these teams because they are unreal. Right. Who's going to pull off a Marlins? I don't know to what you're referring. Marlins back in, was it 98, 97 when they won their first, they were the first expansion team to win a, a World Series and they've won twice. And they have only ever won a World Series on wild cards. They've never won a division series. They've never won a division. That's great. Right. There's a lot to that. You're a, you're a little bit more well-versed than I was. I was two when in 1998. So you're quite a, a bit more historically attuned than I am because that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And you know what? It's going to be fun because once we get into my segment, I'm going to go into that power index here a little bit. And there's a couple mm-hmm. interesting things we noticed there. I did want to I did want to make one more note. And this mm. is something that I saw on Twitter. Okay, actually, two more things. One, I saw a video from Rod Friedman posted on his Twitter account that he took two clips. Zach Greinke pitching against the Oakland A's. Zach Greinke threw in back-to-back pitches an 87-mile-an-hour four-seam fastball and an 88-mile-an-hour changeup. It blows my mind what he does because that shouldn't be possible. Like, the entire purpose of a changeup is to have the same arm action and the ball come out slower and have a little bit more movement to throw pitchers off. And he's throwing his changeup faster than his fastball. Doesn't make any sense. It's awesome. That is Houston Astros pitching in a nutshell. Oh, I don't know if I... I'm not going to attribute that to the Astros because Granky's been doing this for a fat minute. The Astros didn't pick him up because they disagreed with his pitching method. Okay, that's true. I, I, I right. can respect that. My the last Astros know I, what they're oh, looking for. Go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, but on that note, Aaron Sanchez, not such a good second outing with the Astros. Got knocked around a little bit. Unfortunate circumstances happening in the NL West among a really, really fun rookie to watch. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be on the shelf for the rest of the season, which kind of shoots the Padres' playoff dreams in the foot a little bit. But I saw something that Cut4 put out. It was this graphic of Tatis making this you know big jumping catch and they're like oh we just can't stop thinking about this catch and I remember I've watched a couple Padres games the dude makes a lot of errors so I took a little dive into looking at it and he currently has the second most errors in all of baseball behind only Tim Anderson of the White Sox he's sitting at what 18 right now I think it was 18 he hasn't played since then so yeah um, yeah, 18 errors right now. Right, right behind and Anderson. I think Tim 20. Anderson has 20, yeah. Yeah. So, but you look at this guy, and you see some of his highlights, and the dude can play defense. He's an amazing defender. Now, I think 13 of his errors are throwing errors, but also in this top errors for shortstops, Javi Baez, who is almost object- objectively considered probably one of the best defenders in baseball. So my thought was, and I wanted to get your take on it, you could classify both of these guys as electric, right? Mm-hmm. Fun, exciting, watch, real flashy. Does playing electric, electrically, make you a worse defender? That's a hard one to quantify. It could go either way. If you're trying to showboat, sure, you may make stupid decisions. I'm going to grab this one bare hand mm-hmm. when there was no reason to, but it's to make the show. I think that can be a case where that happens. But electrically is kind of what are we measuring as electric? You know, do they do things that are very out of the ordinary or are they just really good at what they're doing? Because that can go two directions as well. When I think of an electric defender, I think of a guy that has really, really good range. 
throws from unnatural positions and makes really hard plays, right? Maybe not the most consistent, but definitely one that is flash. So the wor- the thing to worry about with these kind of guys, if they're not going to turn into Javi Baez, because Javi Baez has a lot of errors, but he's a really good defender. He is number three in defensive war in all of the MLB. So more often than not, he does good. You know what I'm saying? Like he is a good defender, right. even though he has all these errors. So if you're if you're more flash than substance, we have a problem, right? right? So that was my my thing. I I just didn't know. I I had some you know Twitter exchanges with some people about Tatis being a a actually negative defender. He has a negative twelve uh, overall RDRS, which is like your zone runs plus like your defensive runs created negative 12 runs that he's accounted for as a shortstop. Right. It's essentially where you've taken away what could have been a run for whoever was playing offense against you. Is that what I'm yeah. understanding? Right. Well, so if you're, if you're a defender, that would give you a plus one run. So he's essentially given up 12 extra runs as a defender this year. Right. He should have made that play and then did not So it costs essentially 12 runs. And there's a lot of math behind that formula, but that's what they've calculated for him. Well, here's someone that comes to my mind is Seager with the Dodgers. Would you consider him to be an electric player? He has spent a ton of time on the IL recently, so I'm not 100% sure. I don't, I'm not, I haven't seen enough games for him to see it. I right. don't think so. If I'm thinking of a elite or you know electric defender on the Dodgers right now, it's Cody Bellinger. Um, I think he he the reason that his wins above replacement is so much more than Christian Yelich right now is because of his defensiveness, defensiveness, right? Defensive war because he makes has a ton of outfield assists, makes really good catches, can play multiple positions. Um, I don't think Corey Seager fits under electric, right? Because he's sitting on the season with fourteen air or yeah errors at shortstop, and he oh. has been injured for a while, which means yeah, that's a no. lot in a, a little amount of time. And I think there are people from Dodgers fandom that would argue that he is, whether that's a bias or they've seen more games than us of the Dodgers. I think that's an interesting. Now, it is interesting that you mention Bellinger as a better defender than Yelich, because I've I've watched Yelich play before, too, and thought he's he's good in the outfield, but he's not by all means electric in the outfield. And I've, I've noticed that as well. He is leading. He's gotten ahead in the batting race of Bellinger by a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like Bellinger is putting in more in the outfield. I, I think he ends higher on war. But if somebody takes a triple crown, I do think it's Yelich this year. No, for sure. I feel that too. I don't know. I It would surprise me if either one of them were able to win a triple crown this year because the other is so good. Does that make sense? Right. I think Bellinger's leading in home runs right now, though. In, in the league, yeah, he is. Although Mike Trout is right there. I don't think, you know, it's a cool stat. Mike Trout has never led the majors in home runs before. Well, you know what? It it, it started to show that he was going to have this because he was pretty low in home runs. There were a lot of people ahead of him earlier in the year, but mm-hmm. he was on a career high for barrels, which is a good launch angle and a good exit velocity combined. And it doesn't yeah. always lead to a home run, but it shows potential home run. And I think that has a little bit to do with park factor as well, you know, a barrel mm-hmm. could be a home run in some parks where it isn't others. If you're in Detroit, which has the longest distance to center field, getting a barrel means here in Detroit, hitting it deep into that center field at most any stadium should have been a home run. So measuring yeah. barrels kind of shows that power in batting because he was getting great barrels 
Angels has a, they're not a short porch, are they? They've got a decent outfield. You know, the only thing that I know about Angel Stadium is that they have that rock feature out in center field, which is beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. I'd rate it in my top 10 of batter's eyes if I were to make a list of those, but not, not number one. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen enough batter's eyes to rank them <laughs> in, in all reality. That's Let me give you me. number 30 and number 29. Number 30 is Fenway because it's just a bunch of covered chairs. Sure. But you have to appreciate the fact that this is grandfathered to not have a natural one built. Uh-huh. And then number two is Oakland because it's just a removed section from where there should be bleachers for the Raiders. <laughs> but they are no getting a new stadium. They are getting Vegas. a new stadium. No. Oh, Oakland's getting a new stadium. The Oakland A's are making a bid on a new stadium and it's beautiful. Well, that's cool. I yeah, didn't know that. Oko's done. You know, back in its day, Oko was actually an amazing stadium. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. You have to remember what stadiums were like then, though. This is the same time that the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Pirates were playing in Three Rivers Stadium. This was mm-hmm. when Americans were trying to minimize a lot of things. And so multi-use facilities were the hot piece. And mm-hmm. of all of those, Oakland's the only one that's lasted. And there's reason for that. Now, it's not good. But from yeah, no, the air it came from, it was one of the best. Huh. I think it's interesting. I can imagine playing there because, you know, the one thing everyone talks about with Oakland is the absolutely massive foul territory on the sides. Right. Where those normal strikes that go to us foul balls are now out. You know, and that's, I love that part of it. I love the uniqueness of the Oakland Coliseum. But dude, it is ugly. I just can't get over it. It's just an ugly stadium. I've, yeah, I've been there for both a Raiders game and an A's game, and it's such an interesting feel because normally when you go to a baseball game versus when you go to a football game, it's a completely different vibe. This is the oh, one yeah. place where it's the same. There's the drums. There's there's tailgating going on in the parking lot before the game. It is really. Yeah, it's the only stadium that does tailgating. It's a very interesting feel. I wonder if they carry that to the new stadium. Because I think tailgating a baseball game is a very interesting concept because it doesn't really fit the way baseball is compared to football. No, and that's just based on, I think, the number of games played, you know? Right. If you have a 16-game season, each game is a party, and you're going to pack the stadium every single time. Right. And crowd, I think crowd effect has more to do with football than it does with baseball entirely. Like, I love cool atmospheres playing in baseball, but football games... When you get the crowd pumping behind you and you're trying to mess up the opposing offense, it's wild. 100% different than baseball. Oh, it's a completely different vibe. Mm-hmm. I, when you go to a football game, the feeling in the air is electric. Don't get yeah. me wrong. It's, it's like, I mean, you get that in the postseason in base, baseball. For sure. But I do like a baseball game because there's a culture to it where I go, I get a hot dog, I hang out with my friends, we can chat through the game. But we can see some really cool plays. It's a different pace and it's a different feeling, but it's it's its own thing. And I like that for sure. Do you remember the first week of the season? Do you remember what their Mariners record was? It wasn't. It was the first two weeks. Do you remember what their record was? I mean, they started off against the Red Sox and they beat them their very first game. And they they were on a bit of a tear there at the very beginning of the season. They were doing well. They were 13 and two, which is pretty similar to how the Red Sox started back in 2018. Yeah. And everyone was like. Oh my gosh, here come the Mariners. How do they do it? 
you know, they traded away all their guys. They got rid of Diaz. They got rid of, um, can't remember the other guy's name. They got rid of all these guys. They're hitting so well. They're hitting tons of homers. There's this like good feel good story of Daniel Vogelbach, who's like this chubby kid that's just blasting home runs. And then the season came and they are hard to watch all over the place. They're hard to watch offensively. They're hard to watch. Besides Kikuchi, right? This Japanese guy that they picked up this season who also just pitched a complete game, which is pretty cool. Um, They are, they have more errors than double plays. Never happened before in baseball. Um, They have the worst fielding percentage in the major leagues right now. They're just, it's so hard to watch. And it feels so bad because, like, they were the guys. They were the underdogs. They were the 13-2. and two, And they're just so bad now. Right. And if you really look back at what's going on for them, it's not an easy division. It's not a hard division. You've got the Astros who are going to dominate that division. And then, you know, you've got the Rangers who, year to year, pull together a middle division team consistently. And then you've mm-hmm. got the Angels who have Mike Trout, who's going to make you work for it. It's it's not your easy division to have to play in. It's not the NL Central. I meant AL Central, not mm. the AL Central. Just the Central divisions in general. I disagree. The NL Central is really competitive. That's the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, even the Reds. I mean, it has the Pirates in it, which is yeah. But the NL Central is pretty competitive right now. That's actually a good segue into the next segment, which is kind of my my stat corner. Okay, talking sure. about the project I've done for this week. Mm-hmm. So post on Instagram, you mentioned it earlier. Kind of wanted to explain that for the viewers and where I came to my numbers from. Mm-hmm. So I made a list and it has six teams on there with their win-loss record for when they face teams over 500 wins, when the teams have won more than half their games in the season at the, at the point they played. Why were we looking at this? Why were you looking at this? Just to get a little background info. Yes. Right. We, we, you and I were talking about... Everyone's talking about the Yankees and Dodgers right now, which I thought was very weird because everyone was leaving the Astros behind and mm-hmm. the Astros are doing really good right now. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of counting the Dodgers up. S- some people have the Dodgers just pegged to win. It- it's very disagreed. 538 has it pretty swung their way. Fangraphs has it really swung Houston's way. And then some have it towards New York. I've never seen the stats disagree this much between different calculators as this season. Sure. And I, I just kind of wanted to look at the numbers a little and see what was going on here. And so I pulled out the winning percentage from that. And then I thought it might be worth looking at who they've had to face so far. So you'll notice the SOS there, strength of schedule. Mm-hmm. And that is every team they have played and are going to play. And for the teams they have played, it was kind of at the point of. And now for the ones going forward, it was where they're going to be. I took the average of all the teams they're going to play's rankings. So a lower number meant a more difficult schedule. Right. Sure. Sure. So the easiest schedule was among the Oakland Athletics, whose average team ranks 17 in Major League Baseball. Where you're talking about the AL or the NL Central, the Brewers of that list of six people between the Yankees, the Astros, the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Athletics, the Brewers ranked lowest in my point index as it came out. You know, they've they've been about 507 against 500 teams. Mm-hmm. They've played a lot of games on them. They've played about 77 games against over 500 teams at this point, which is about more than half their games. Their average strength of schedule was 14.5, which was almost two. It was more than two points lower than the next contender, which was uh, the Braves in the 16s. Are you considering the Brewers a contender? 
I don't know where I consider them because they came out the lowest the way the numbers came out, but I don't mm-hmm. love the way I crunched the numbers. I just wanted to find something that might tell a story that we're not seeing. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's accurate. It just means that we're looking at things from different angles and trying to process what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I think when you and I talked about this podcast, one of the things we want to talk about is there are podcasts that talk about only data. They don't even mm-hmm. talk about what's happened or players individually. They just talk about data. And those are fun to listen to for guys like you and I who are very cerebral mm-hmm. about baseball. And then there are podcasts that talk about individual teams or individual things. And they're fun to listen to podcasts for the most part, but they're mostly just talking about players in terms of opinionation. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of wanted to make a good marriage of what we love seeing in baseball backed by data and even mm-hmm. being willing to look at data in different ways and being willing to take our biases out. I almost didn't love the way these numbers came out and I almost didn't post it because I wasn't sure that it came out because it just seemed wrong to me. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to post it to overcome that bias. So it had the Yankees at top. The power index rating, I don't feel like this may have been the best way to calculate this, but I essentially took their win percentage and multiplied it by the strength of schedule mm-hmm. to kind of see what what more that would put everybody. So it did put the Brewers last, but the Brewers have had a super difficult schedule. They should still be, if I'm right, sitting about third in their division. They are third right now. They're behind the Cubs and the Cardinals. How many games out are they in the wild card? Um, Milwaukee is 2.5 games back from the Cubs. I, their schedule has been difficult and is going to be more difficult than everybody else in contention from now on. Right. And part of being difficult in schedule is being the team that's ranked lower. You know, difficulty is based on your ability to play against theirs. So to some degree, they may not be as strong as others because that's why everyone else is more difficult than them. Mm -hmm. But another interesting, so that was kind of my point there. The other thing that came out is in order of strongest to weakest on this chart that I pulled out. Mm-hmm. And I, I put the Brewers in. You would have expected me to put someone who was in better playoff contention because you've got the Oakland Athletics there. You would expect me to put Tampa or the Indians. But sure. I wanted to put that team because their schedule was so hard just to see. Mm-hmm. But in order, I got the Yankees, the Astros. And then here was a thing that really surprised me. I got the Braves. They have a better winning percentage against over 500 teams than the Dodgers. So it shouldn't be too big of a deal. It's only by, you know, a, uh, a thousandth so 623 versus or 639 versus 623 right yeah so that 0.016 difference mm-hmm. um and they have played a little bit more over 500 teams and so they came out a little bit on top of the dodgers and i, I don't think we should sleep on the braves i think they're a little angry about last year oh no i would be too i think the problem with the braves is that they have struggled all season with a bullpen about finding a bullpen that can consistently close out games. And I read this tweet from Mike Pitriello, who runs the MLB StatCast podcast. And he tweeted and said, every team's bullpen is the worst bullpen to the fans. You know what I'm saying? Because every fan watches their team blow games. Because bullpens are going to blow games, right? Maybe even more often than not. They're going to give up runs. They're going to give up leads. It's kind of just what happens in baseball. So, but the Braves specifically, right? They went out at the trade deadline. They went and got Shane Green. Shane Green gave up more runs in his first two appearances with the Braves than he did the entire time that he was at Detroit this season. Which is sad because Detroit, we've been counting them. We have them predicted in our algorithms to come in dead last for wins, maybe two or three behind the Orioles. Um, We originally had them at 49 when I was doing it on a very simple equation and then i created a more complex one that was a lot more accurate when Mm. i looked at previous seasons and it bumped them to 52 i think they're only at 39 wins as of today maybe 40 
So they're on pace to never to not cross what I predicted. Detroit has um, 37 wins. Oh man, I, I gave them a little more credit than they deserved. <laughs> <laughs> Baltimore has 39 wins. Right, right, right. That's where I'm thinking. Now, one thing with the Braves that I saw this week that I thought was interesting is did you see what happened with Ronald Acuna? He hit I'm trying to remember how the hit played. I think it was like a Texas leaguer, you know, mm. just right over the infield into the outfield. And so it should have been an easy I mean, he could have he hit it where he could have possibly made a double, depending on the way it was fielded. Maybe it was a little more than a Texas leaguer. Mm. And he just walked to first. He didn't run the hard 90. He didn't hustle. And the coach benched him for it. I don't know if he was trying to showboat or something, because he is a very talented player. But yeah, the coach just benched him for the attitude of that. So I'm looking at this article that kind of describes what happened. It says, Ronald Acuna Jr. has been removed from the Atlanta Braves game against the LA Dodgers after he stood at the plate admiring a long fly ball that did not leave the park. So it was like he thought he was, he thought he was, you know, admiring this dinger that he had just hit and it didn't leave. So do you think that... Right, it bounced off the wall. Yeah. Do you think that as a manager, you pulling arguably the best player on your team and benching him for doing something like that what kind of message do you think that sends to to the team in general i like the message honestly i don't i don't care what the hit looks like i don't care if it's it's just a grounder to the shortstop and you know it's going to be a 6-3 play right shortstop right there i think if you are wanting to be in the bigs you run to the base you know what i'm saying you make the hustle because you never know whether or not the first baseman might not catch the ball. Errors are recorded because they are a commonality in baseball. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not every day, every inning, but they happen. And so if you're not willing to put yourself in the best position to take advantage of what may come up in that competition, I, I just think it's a, it's a poor attitude to the sport. Are you not telling your team like, hey, we're trying to win baseball games by taking out arguably your best player? There can be statements or cases made for other players on the Braves, but... Are you saying to your team that me, you know, showing this, this young kid, you know, using him as an example, what does that say about your desire to win baseball games to your team? You know, I, I think there's a couple of things that I'd pick apart on that statement, because one of them is if they're taking it that way, they're also taking the perspective that their manager thinks Ronald Acuna is the way they win games, which would show a lack of faith in other players. And so I think the message it sends is we are here to win games not to win stats. Mm. You know, Acuna thought that he hit a home run, and so he walked. Regardless of where the ball went, until you know it's a home run, you move. And and I'm not going to say that it's wrong to admire a good hit. I loved that comment in Giants Stadium where, remind me who hit the home run into Covey's Cove. I think it was Max Muncie. Oh my gosh, Max Max Muncie Muncie hits a home run. run. Yep. Baumgartner says, you don't stare, you run. And Muncie says, if you want your ball back, go get it out of the ocean. Savage, bro. I, Savage is in the box. It was a wrong team, but yes. It, it was a funny moment, and you know, I enjoyed that. But I, I do understand where Baumgartner meant by you run, like, move. The ball's into play. Go. Yeah. And once you know it's a home run, feel free to jog. And nobody doubted that ball was a home run. Yeah. Just the sound of the hit of the bat and the moment you saw it where it went, it was gone. So how do you feel about the whole Tim Anderson thing from earlier in the season? He's the shortstop for that team, and he was playing against the Royals, I believe. And the dude just hit an absolute bomb, stared at it. He didn't even, like, bat flip. He just spiked the bat into the ground, turned around, and was like, let's go, like, yelling super loud to his dugout. And the next inning that he got drilled. So it's not even just 
like running out bases, right? It's not even just about effort. Because if you're going to admire it, there's a couple things you're doing. One, you're kind of stunting in front of the pitcher. And you're also not, you know, just playing baseball. Personally, I'm a subscriber to the theory that act like you've been there before. Mm. You know, like act like it's not your first time. One of my favorite athletes in all of sports in general is Larry Fitzgerald. And if you've ever seen him play, every time he scores a touchdown, he just hands the ball to the ref and just walks away. That's mm. his thing. Every time. Scores a touchdown, hand the ball. Doesn't make any big deal about it because there's a level of maturity there. You know, act like you've done it before. I love Kerry Wood. I remember him saying, so Kerry Wood was famous in the Cubs for throwing a 20 strikeout game. Mm-hmm. Most in Cubs history. And I think tied for the record in all of MLB. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of a crazy game, too, because the very first pitch, he hit the umpire square in the mask. Oof. So nobody thought it was going to be a good game. And he was a call up and he walked a ton of people in the minors. But he kept his composure really well through that game. He didn't even know how many strikeouts he'd thrown by the end. Mm-hmm. He had to be told. He was just happy because he knew how many people he didn't walk. That was what he was kind of focusing on for the game. Mm-hmm. But he had said that the reason he kept so well composed and didn't over-celebrate in that victory was because he was told when he came up by somebody, and it was kind of made clear to him that somewhere a eight, nine-year-old kid is watching you, and it's the first time they've watched baseball, mm-hmm. and your impression will define their opinion of baseball and how they should play the sport and what they should do. Mm-hmm. And for him, when he throws a 20 strikeout game, he's going to become the idol of the kid that's watching this and how he plays the game is going to be how they project themselves on the field because they see that as the way to show that I'm an all-star as well. I do think that it's MLB players sub responsibility. Their first responsibility is to be a baseball player, but I love players a couple of mentioned we've Francisco Lindor, mm-hmm. Mike Trout, Brock Holt are three players that I love right now. Mike Trout is consistently reminded to the public that he's such a good baseball player mm-hmm. because for those who don't follow stats closely, they don't really notice. He is so beautifully composed in everything that he does. When he hits a home run, it's just an easy swing, good form, nothing showy. He runs the bases, goes to the dugout, amps up the guy going up to bat and sits down. Mm-hmm. And thinks about what he's going to do in his next at bat. Brock Holt is a happy presence in the clubhouse. Doesn't make a lot of fuss. You know, Francisco Lindor, very respectful, very energetic, big smile. I think that is the image I like base, basket, or baseball to portray. And there's a lot of other sports that are portraying the opposite image. And it's one of the reasons I gravitate towards baseball. Sure, but I think even even the major leagues are now going in such a way. You know, there's the let the kids play movement. Right. I don't know if you've seen that or not before. Right. But the MLB itself is pushing the the idea that to kind of move away from these traditionalistic values. And I love passion in the game. 100%. Um, I think that it's warranted. And I think that if you're in a position of stress and you overcome a certain obstacle, whether that's as a pitcher, you striking out you know, the last batter of the game, closing out a game in a high-pressure situation, you should have some amount of energy. Oh, I agree. And, and one of the reasons Brock Holt, who I mentioned, you always see him with the rally cap backwards. He's, he's very fun and energetic, and he has a lot of energy. And another good one from that same organization last year now plays for the Dodgers, 
Joe Kelly coming off the mound last year, striking people out, screaming and slapping his chest. It was really fun to watch. I think there's a difference, though, between celebrating your move and putting down somebody else. And I think that's a line that's hard to draw. But I think that it's worth doing. You know Mm. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, for sure. Speaking to that end, um, the call or college World Series, the Little League World Series is going on right now at Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We've talked a little bit about it. We've watched, you know, the kids squatting super low to kind of mess up the next the pitcher and see if you can get him to throw a strike. I got to watch uh, Venezuela play Mexico today. Awesome game. Venezuela came back from like a five run deficit to win the game. There have been in an elim- elimination game the last three games they've played. And they're just, you know, keep moving on, keep moving on. But I saw this video of this little leaguer hit a dinger, right? Hit a hit a bomb over the wall. He's rounding the bases and the pitcher that just gave up the home run went and gave the kid a high five as he's going from third to home. Do you have any thoughts on that? That is what the kids play is about. I don't think, I don't think that there is a reason to patronize the other team more than you need to. One of my, I can't get past a lot of these players who feel like talking absolute garbage on the other players. I like a little bit of trash talk if it's friendly. It's fun. But one of my favorite things I see is I would wish they would mic up players more often because some of these times you see the first baseman waiting for the pickoff or just chatting with the base runners they've gotten there. Mm -hmm. And these guys look like they're good friends and it makes me want to be a part of that conversation. And that's what draws me into the game. I, I understand that. But at the same time, for me, for those of you who don't know me personally, I'm an extremely competitive person. And that is how I, it's hardwired in me to be like that. And I talk trash, whether it's on the basketball court, whether it's on the rugby pitch, whether it's on the softball field, I talk trash. And, but I'll also write the whole like game recognized game kind of deal. I understand that too. Mm. I do 100%. But I feel like if you're competing the third baseman giving a high five to the guy that hit a home run is different than the pitcher giving a high five to the guy that's hit a home run. Because as a pitcher, you're in direct competition with that guy and he just won. I don't feel like you should just be like, oh, yep, okay. For me, that devalues competition in general. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I, I feel that point too. One of what's the commercial that's running right now? And I think it's Nike. And the commercial is of a player describing, you know, the best thing you can find for yourself is a, is a rival, someone who will push yeah. a rival, someone it's a who will push you to be It's awesome. But I gotta know if I take it down, would you really hold me down and be your best friend? She just wanna hit me with a quickie by the pool, and I'm like, yes, ma'am. When you got me feeling for your body, you might turn me. Yes, man. Before it 
do this, girl, I got a question If I take it down, would you really hold me down and be your best friend? She just wanna hit me with a quickie by the pool and I'm like, yes, ma'am When you got me feeling for your body, you might turn me to a yes, man Oh, yeah 80 and a 40, I'm a nervous bitch, I'm flyer than your ex, man in your ex like oh my god right into your legs like oh my god and let's go on a day like oh my god when i'm back from l.a like oh my god oh my god yeah she still think it's odd yeah i got all these fans she's the only one i want yeah impress me with your mind i might turn you to a mom yeah you might get a pension if you work it for me long yeah it's gonna be a long yeah i don't know how to get like that Recognize my runs and get them fixed like that Booming through my city with my people all around Is you coming with me or you staying on the ground, yeah uh, Yes or no, how'd it go? Where your man? Do you got one on the low? Oh, you do? How'd I know? Born in 1994, you still a scrub But I still don't think you know this how to love But I gotta know that if I take you down Would you really hold me down? I'd be your best friend By the pool and I'm like, yes, man Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah The way you got me feeling for your body You might turn me to a yes, man Oh, yeah, oh, yeah 80 and a 40, I'm a nervous bitch I'm flyer than your X-Men I'm flyer than your next, man I'm flyer than your...